Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cyclocross Social Podcast. Today we're here to talk about the final round of the Super Prestige in Gavre and I'm here to do that with Issa. Hey everybody. Ton has decided to take a rest from the podcast until the road season begins again. He's focusing on some other things at the moment. So Issam, thank you for being here today. We will be talking, as said, about the final round of the Super Prestige. It was the seventh round, not the eighth, as Diegem was cancelled. Funny thing, if Havre would have been cancelled due to whatever reason, the whole Super Prestige season would have been invalidated due to a rule, but luckily it didn't come so far. We were racing and actually also with some spectators alongside the course, and Isam will tell us what happened in the men's race. Yeah, thank God that we had some uh, some fans along the side uh, cheering on. Uh, it was a fast uh, fast race because it was uh, completely dry. There were some places where it was a little bit muddy and uh, sticky, but you know, overall it was all good. As usual, by a fast race in the first lap, it was really back and forth. Don van der Bos got a gap, but then was again closed by Dan Suter. But it was almost like peloton racing, a bit what we have seen in, in Tabor in the beginning of the race. First crucial moment is that uh, van der Haar takes the lead in Havre in the second lap and puts them under pressure. Iserbridge is sitting in his wheel, but then in the... They call it the News Albert uh, descent, where Albert crashed in 2007 somewhere. Yeah, Iserbid tumbles uh, and has the same fate as uh, News Albert. Uh, gets up quite quickly and is then uh, has to then recover. Uh, at that moment, the Super Prestige is uh, a little bit open because uh, Tone Arts, number two in the classification, uh, was only four points behind. Uh, last race of the season, obviously. And, you know, with the, uh, the nature of the Super Prestige, where you get one point per place uh, difference, uh, you know, that is uh, quite crucial for him. Iserbeet, however, is not holding himself back. After the crash recovers, gets back to Arts and even to the leader at that moment, Lars van der Haar. Van der Haar is then, yeah, together with um, with Iserbeet, knows that he is not allowed to, to go in the front, stays in the wheel of Iserbeet. Behind them, there is a group of two with Van Turenhout and Toon Arts. Van der Haar then senses uh, that, that Van Turenhout and Aarts are coming back and then thinks that is the moment to go. Iserby tries to have an answer, comes very close, but then cracks completely. And yeah, Van der Haar is then able to, to get away and yeah, there is nothing they can do about it. Iserbid actually falls back completely in, in, in that race to the group behind him with uh, Van Turenhout and Aarts. And then we have a battle for the second and third spot there. Arts then senses that there is going to be a 2v1 situation and puts them under pressure. Van Turenhout cracks completely under under that and is yeah not in contention for the podium. And then we have only Iserbeet left. Arts tries and tries again, but in the last lap they go together. Uh, Iserbeet takes the lead in that last lap and is then able to crack Arts uh, and is able yeah to get that second place. And most importantly for uh, Iserbeet, he wins the super prestige overall victory. Uh, and Arts has to settle for third place and second in the overall classification. Not the most exciting race today. Just a very strong Lars van der Haar. I mean, led from not start to finish, but... Had a bad start, recovered, and then led, like, I think after lap three almost until the finish. At some point, Izerbeet and Arts came close, but I think overall we just have to conclude this is another chapter to a very successful season of Lars van der Haar. His most successful one, I think, at least as far as I remember personally, I think since the season that Van der Poel and Van Aert made the step to the elite category, so 2014-15. So, yeah, I think overall Van der Haar can be happy. Should be happy in his penultimate race of the season, getting another victory in that European Championships jersey. He can be happy. Yeah, for sure he can be happy. And 
I think the way he did it as well today, obviously, uh, Izerbeet had that crash, but uh, I think that if Izerbeet didn't crash, he would still be... It would just come short to, to this Van, Van der Haar because it was uh, truly amazing. Um, yeah, nothing the others could have done. And this is a parkour for his liking when it's dry. Eh? And he said it in the interview as well that he was quite happy that the race was dry. And uh, they asked him about where to place Kavre next season on the calendar. And he was like, as long as it's dry, it doesn't really matter to him. So, yeah, you can really see it also in Tabor. He comes alive when it's a dry race. He just he can attack a course if it's dry so hard and with the climbing in it as well. Yeah, it's just something Van der Haar can can do so well and uh, the others just today didn't really have an answer yeah in that post-race interview he said it was always his dream to race Gavre on the Grifo tires it happened today it was a bit muddy but it was drying mud so yeah he was super happy conditions suited him the course of course also suited him because he was able to unleash his power Van the Haar is a very good type of climber I think it was also mentioned during the broadcast that it looks a bit like Falkenberg, a course on which he also excels. So overall a perfect day for him despite a somewhat bad start. Before the race I was wondering a bit what Van der Haar would do because this is the final weekend of racing. He loves Oostmalle, it's one of his favorite crosses but he will be skipping that one because after Brussels he will be undergoing a double surgery to both his knees as he still has pain in his knees when doing endurance rides. Well, we didn't see anything of that today and he says that he has had those complaints I think ever since the crash in Kortrijk but throughout the season we haven't really seen any of that because of course he had a couple of bad weeks but overall, as said, a very successful season for him. Yeah, I, I heard about that situation and you know I was also quite surprised because they asked him afterwards if you know if he has some pain in the knee but you know it appears to be that it's not really an issue if it's only for a one hour effort but when he goes on the road and you know has to do a three hour training to to get uh, the the form uh, and the condition uh, the really condition training then it starts to to play up and then the issue of the knee comes up and I think it's a very wise decision to tackle that as quickly as possible and then uh, recover from this season and build up to the next season but I just looked into his results and this is I was quite surprised to see it but in the elites this is his first super prestige victory he has won in the under 23 but in in the elite uh, quite a long career from him but it seems to be that this is his first victory in the super prestige uh, for uh, Lars van der Aan. well very surprising that didn't see that one coming either because of course he has faced Van Aert and Van der Poel and especially in the beginning of his career it was tough to deal with but I mean I thought he would have won a super prestige round somewhere but definitely something that still was missing on his Palmares then. He eventually claimed the third place in the overall with this win. Didn't really challenge in the overall. Today the winner of the overall was Eli Izebiet. Second place also for Izebiet I mean... Solid performance, you could really see that he had been saving up for this in the past couple of weekends. Or well, basically just the week last weekend after the World Championships. But Isabit did what he needed to do. Of course, had a crash. That was the only moment I thought, oh, if that's a nasty crash, then he could be in trouble because there were still a lot of riders around him. But you could also see today Isabit was racing with one thing in his mind, and that was, okay, don't lose four points on Tone Arts, then I win the overall make my sponsors happy, I make myself happy, 
and he did so in the end, ending second and claiming his first ever super prestige victory. I think that uh, with with Easterby today, especially after the crash, I was kind of like, you know, we have seen a couple of moments this season that uh, something happened to him that didn't really go to plan and then uh, he couldn't really uh, recover from it. And uh, today he showed super quickly on the bike again, Uh, maybe a little bit uh, too quick uh, to the front of, of the pack again uh, in the wheel of Van der Haar maybe that he wanted to get as quickly as possible to the front because he saw the danger of Arts maybe going with Van der Haar or something at least but um, you know in the end he secured in my opinion the highest possible position and he secured the, the final overall uh, in the Super Prestige so I think that is uh, that was his main goal of this, this weekend I think tomorrow he's going to be racing but uh, it is not going to be. Uh, eh? He's going to try to win the race, but if it's not, it's not happening. It's uh, kind of over for him. And I don't know if they race next week, but I think for Izerbeet, uh, this was the main goal of 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 the Super Prestige, and he, you know, managed uh, to fulfill it in the end successfully. Yeah, I think that the race we saw here by Izerbeet is just so typical for the post World Championships racing. I mean, for many non-Dutch and Belgian people, the cyclocross season has already ended because the World Championships have been, the World Cup has ended. And those are the two most important things for international followers. I do agree with that. These post-World Championship races, I mean, I watch them. Sometimes they're enjoyable, but if you have a relatively boring race like today, well, then my attention goes elsewhere. Of course, I still follow it and analyze it. But if there's not much to see, then I was happy like today. I could still have the Olympic Winter Games on my second screen. And I mean, it's not really strange that you see this because today just the races we saw, as said, were so typical for that. Freshness, definitely on the end of Van der Haar now. Isabit having a good season, but really form of the day, depending how he rides his race. If it's good like today, he's up there. If his form of the day isn't up there, then you see him fade like in Lille. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see that in other races as well. Same goes for Laura Sweek, who simply decided to pull out of the race today because things weren't going the way he wanted them to go. I think something happened with Jens Adams because he was up there and then pulled out. But in normal races, you would still see them continue and try push back for a top 10. But now you can really see motivation is dropping a bit. It really comes down to form of the day because... Of course, some they're still training a bit, some more than others, but for instance, Don Arts, who ended third today, I mean, you could see such an inconsistent race, having moments where he felt strong, other moments almost cracking, dropping, then finding his legs again, coming back, then to drop again. So I think that's just something that's pretty normal for post-World Championships racing, because we've seen it quite sometimes in the past couple of years, that this is the way these post World Championships races are raced and for Tone Arts, I mean, third, it's a decent performance, but nothing too special and a very weird race in general by him, as said, with lots of good and bad moments. Let's look at our entire top 10 then. Lars van der Haar took his first Super Prestige victory, as you just heard from Issam, ahead of Elie Isbiet and Tone Arts. Fourth place went to Michael van Turenhout ahead of a solid ride by Dan Soete, who ended fifth. Sixth went to Kevin Kuhn ahead of another Swiss rider in the top 10, Timon Ruek. Men under 23 world champion Joran Visure ended 8th. He is moving to Alpecin next year. Ninth place went to Ryan Kamp ahead of Toon van der Bos. In this top 10, I think uh, it's important to point out the Swiss riders Kuhn and Ruech, 6th and 7th. Strong rise by them today, Isam. 
definitely a strong race by by both of them. I mean, I picked up Kevin Kuhn a little bit there around with Suta and I was like, well, if he can maintain this, this is going to be a very good result for him in the top 10. And for Ruek, uh, he came a bit later on, in my opinion, in, in the race. It was quite hard to follow what they were doing behind the four that were um, a lot in on the screen. But uh, we saw some flashes of Kuhn and also from Ruek and... Well, quite good. I mean, Ruek is a bit disappointed that he, you know, couldn't show this in on the worlds. Uh, for Kuhn, yeah, just a, a very solid season in my opinion. Uh, he had a couple of, uh, of very good races. This is also one you can add up as a good race. And um, yeah, I think for the top ten, it also looks nice that we have some Swiss flag all over there. Yeah, Ruek not racing the world championships because he wasn't vaccinated, so. That's why he wasn't able to race there. Solid ride by him today. I think the same goes for Visura with the 8th place. And this is kind of the thing I like about this early and late season racing. Because you have this opportunity to see a couple of young talents stick their name just a bit further to the front than what they usually are possible to do. And we saw that today with Visura and Kamp and we've seen it with other riders as well. Then in 10th place Don van der Bos. Only thing I have to comment on him is that in our podcast about the whole situation surrounding the Tormans team, we reported he would be going to extend his contract at Paulshauser Bingo. However, Wieler Flitz was wrong and they had said that he was going to extend his contract, but the Newsblad reports that Don van der Bos will indeed not extend his contract. He will also be moving to Alpecin Phoenix, and in addition to that, we can say, based on reporting by at last the news, that there is going to be a new sister team of Alpecin Phoenix in Cross, which is going to probably be around Quinten Hermans, Corne van Kessel, and most likely Visura and Verstringen as well. So basically, we're going to see the Tormans riders put in a new sister team in the, inside the Alpsin Phoenix structure, which also includes Ico Krelan and the Triple Seven team. Then let's talk about the women's cross. We had a very fast start from Zoe Backset with Anna Marie Worst, but Lucinda Brandt quickly restored the order, took over the lead, started pacing, and was dropping the rest. Her closest chaser was not a rider, it was a drone providing us with footage from the course until the drone was taken out of the race. And then there was really nobody close to Brandt. Brandt extended their gap to 20 to 25 seconds and then cruised with that gap and eventually extended a bit more winning with 35 seconds over Annemarie Worst. Worst for that had to fight with Denise Betsma in the final lap. Betsma, the rider who injured her fingers last week in Lille, she got stitches in that and eventually was recovered in time to participate here at the final round of the Super Prestige. She ended third, but very close behind her was Zoe Baxet, the young British rider, ending fourth. I mean, it's, um, again, this is kind of a similar ride as we saw in the men's race. Both riders from Bava's Trek Lions in a European Championship jersey, both not having the fastest start, but eventually winning the race quite easily. Yeah, quite a coincidence, but yeah, what you said, I mean, Brandt was in um, in control of the race from, in my opinion, from the start even, and it was, uh, there was just a, a difference, and you could even see that she opened the gap and then uh, knew when the gap was there that she could just, um, you know, keep the pace, but not really go too, all crazy and 
that was even had some time in the last lap to celebrate with the fans way before the finish. So uh, a well-deserved victory by Lucinda Brandt. Uh, and then behind, yeah, we had, I mean, Betsema, a, a better day, I would say. Um, just just that little bit better. And But in the last lap, obviously, there is not going to be uh, enough for her to, to beat Vorst. If they both go into a last lap, it, you know, Vorst is most of the time the one that's going to win that battle. And... Uh, she knew quite quickly that that was not going to be it. Yeah, I think Betsema was just, for once, actually not ruining her last lap by making wrong positioning mistakes or something. Today it was just Worst who was the strongest. And for Betsema, the end of the season really didn't go the way she wanted it to go. So overall, a third place for Betsema. It was just about enough to secure the second place overall. She ended equal in points with Anne-Marie Worst, but because she has a victory and Anne-Marie Worst doesn't, it's Betsema who claims the second place in the Super Prestige behind Lucinda Brandt. Tomorrow Brandt can complete her triple crown of classifications by also securing the win in the X2O Badkamers trophy. And honestly, that should not be an issue considering the fact that her lead is almost three minutes over Denise Betsema. Let's look at our entire top 10 then, Brandt ahead of Worst and Betsema, then we saw Zoe Bakstedt ahead of Annick van Alphen and Manon Bakker. The top 10 is rounded up by Helene Clausel, Marie Schreiber, Rebecca Gariboldi and Marjan Norbert Riberol. Of course, real standout performance here today by Zoe Bakstedt, the second year junior ending fourth here. Of course, still some names not there, but to still be so strong, fighting for a podium in a classic race like Gavre, it's it's a very special. It, it it really was, and I was a bit surprised to be honest. I you know the way she was she was riding overall was super strong, and to be able to uh, she wasn't really in the wheel of the the woman in the woman's in front with Vorst and Betsema, but she was able to keep them in eyesight, and I think that Buckstead was yeah that was really good, and yeah just. Uh, Showing us once again that she's really a, a great talent and has a has a, has a good future in, in, in cyclocross. And you know, let's hope that she is going to keep doing that. Um, a lot of teams that are looking uh, together. And I think this is uh, once again some publicity for her that, uh, that you know, she's someone that you really need to have in your team. And, you know, let's see what the, the future is going to bring for her. You can hear more from Zoe Buckstedt on our podcast. I spoke with her last Thursday and we will be releasing that interview on the upcoming Wednesday. Buckstedt there said that she felt that she improved her technique this year significantly. I think today you could see that in the downhill corners. You could see, of course, she's riding with a lot of confidence, but you could now also see that the bike was going where she wanted to go. It's still not perfect. It's something she can work on. But today she showed that the raw power is there. She will be racing tomorrow in Brussels and then also the final weekend in Sint Niklaas and Oostmalle because she enjoys it. And that's what you will hear in the interview is the most important thing for her. She didn't literally say it, but it comes basically down to as soon as I don't enjoy riding my bike anymore, I won't do it. And I think that's a good mindset to have. Today things definitely went as they were supposed to go, not like last week. Last week she had a tough weekend, but also that is post-World Championships racing. As said, you will see a lot of riders having good days followed by very bad days because the form simply just isn't at a high level what it has been in the early phase of the season. 
In the rest of the top 10, honestly, I don't think there's much to talk about. Of course, solid race by Schreiber and Garibaldi, but we will prevent repeating what we said last week, that these are two talented riders. We spoke about them in our podcast of last week, so if you're interested in hearing about those riders, I would recommend listening to that one. Well, as said, there wasn't a lot to say about the races, but there's still one thing we can talk about for a bit, Isam. The placement on the calendar of Havre. They are placed in the post-world championships block it's not a really great place to be as a race what do you think it's a classic how come it ends up here and maybe more important do you see it returning to a proper place on the calendar in the middle of the season next year it's going to be tough because i think the calendar is getting uh, fuller and fuller and there's not a lot of place going to be so you're kind of going to be forced to be at a certain place and if you're not going to be able to organize it then eh, you might end up in a situation like now that you're that you're going to be at the end of the season when the world cup is done when the world championships are done and the interest kind of drops i mean it is really in classic and this is a race that that we have seen that if it's in the right at the right dates that the fans are there and that it's uh, you know something to yeah, people love it. People love Havre and the riders love it as well. So it's really a classic. And I think that the position where it was in in November, that is where it should be. And I hope that they can fix something to, to make sure that it's going to be there. Hopefully next year we're going to have uh, the full capacity of fans that are going to be able to watch it. It's obviously going to be hard because, you know, COVID, uh, you know, had had a setback on a lot of things and also on, on, on the number of spectators we have seen. And the numbers were, I would say, not really bad. I We saw some fans and some interest, but I think that if we didn't have the COVID period, it would have been a little bit more. But yeah, we have to wait and see. And I hope they can they can get it in, 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 in November because, yeah, it's just a classic that should be at that, at that date. I think it deserves the attention and it deserves uh, everything around it. And I think that if you would put it in, in November, that it would increase in, in all aspects in terms of attention but also yeah the racing will probably be a little bit better because everybody is going to be in in better shape at that point well we will for sure see a lot of changes on the calendar expect to see uh, quite some changes on the world cup calendar for instance which will be released on monday we already know that we are going to have an edition in london as we reported on twitter wielerflitz reported that we are going to see around in benidorm come in Hoger Heide is organizing the World Championships next year, Namur the European Championships, so that gives two new available dates. Coxide's latest news reported by Newsbot is moving out of the World Cup, they think it's too expensive, they will be moving to the X2O Trophy. Question is, which race in the X2O Trophy will go out? For now, it only th- really thing we can come up with is Brussels, considering the fact that it's held on the university campus and there's too many complaints about the cross. This year there's also no spectators allowed there because they think that spectators disrupt students who are preparing for their exams. It's been complaints about that ever since the cross was first organized there. So yeah, it still leaves us with some speculation. Gavre said that indeed that they would be wanting to move back. Coxider says they have have an option on the Christmas period. So yeah, it will definitely be interesting what's going to happen. Also considering the fact that ne- next year Middelkerk is coming back and Loker is going to organize the Belgian championships. It will be interesting to see how the calendar shapes. There will definitely be some 
movement. And I think indeed that Gavre should be somewhere in a crucial moment of the season in November, December, because that's just where it belongs. Because you could see it today, I mean, it's one of the few crosses that tries to innovate in terms of course, in terms of also video experience, because today we saw a drone on the course, but that eventually got taken out by the UCI due to the regulations. But it was very cool to see a drone chasing Brandt and it gave real cool footage. Definitely did give a lot of, uh, you know, nice... I, th I think it's something that they should implement a little bit more. Uh, next time, maybe with the cons consent of, of the UCI and making sure that everything uh, within the rules is going to be okay. But I, re I really enjoyed the shots. It was um, astonishing to watch, actually. And I think that especially if you are having a parkour with with some climbing in it, I think as well, a parkour like Val Sol, which is like really outstanding alone. But if you would add just some drone shots in it, it it's going to... I think it makes the race in general also a little bit more professional, and you can see it in all sports. That uh, even in you know in the football as well, they're really trying to increase that professional part of of, of coverage and making sure that the, it's going to be top notch, the best of cameras, great quality, just making sure that everything is great in order. And I have the feeling that. Yeah, in cycling, but, you know, especially in cyclocross, they can really work on that because it, I have the feeling that I'm watching the same cameras for the last six, seven years. And I think that should not be the case. You should be having some sort of variety. We see it from time to time, but not really. And I think that this is really a good initiative and hopefully uh, something um, that they will uh, try to fix, like I said, and, 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 and that we are going to see it more often, especially on these climb courses. I think that some of the camera angles they have is very cool. I mean, this long cord that they have and then pull a camera along where you can really go over and under the riders like we saw on the downhill in Fayette View. That was really cool. Um, but yeah, at the same time, indeed, some of the camera angles and the way broadcasts are put together just haven't changed. The only thing that has changed is that the quality has gone up and that we can now easily see who is who, especially if it's rainy and muddy. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think it's something that indeed should have been looked into better because I knew that this wasn't allowed. So I was already surprised when it did happen and when I did see this footage come in. At the end of the day, it can also be very dangerous. Of course, these guys controlling these drones are professionals, but you wouldn't want that drone to crash down for a reason or especially what's difficult is... What if Lucina Brandt crashes? Is the drone quick enough to react or will it slap into her? Because it looked like the drone was flying quite low. And something that should be looked into or maybe find a different way, like have everybody race with onboard cameras or other ways to improve the viewing experience, like having sector times like you have in F1. So those are all things that should be looked into, but that's not our task. We just analyze the racing today and tomorrow we'll do that again in Brussels. Isam, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for roasting and uh, looking forward to Brussels. Yeah, see you again tomorrow to talk about Brussels. Hopefully everyone will tune in again. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.